I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. Once again, we have another guest, this week's guest. If you listen to the Tim Heron episode, he was mentioned in there. Uh, he's a legit gunsmith, former Army artillery officer, and current firearms instructor. Let's welcome AJ Zito to the show. How you doing, AJ? I'm good. Uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me here. Ah, you're welcome. I see I, I cracked a smile there when I introduced you as a legitimate gunsmith. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, like I've done a few things to my pistols, but I am not a gunsmith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of guys that uh, we call them coffee table gunsmiths, and nothing wrong with that until you try and uh, hang a shingle out and make money on it, then maybe there might be a yeah. problem. Yeah, <laughs> might be a little feedback on that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I consider myself a YouTube gunsmith. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, man. <laughs> um, so I'm actually kind of surprised we're talking on a weekend. I figured with uh, all the stuff that you do, you would never be available on a weekend. However, um, <laughs> here we are. That's awesome. Yeah, it was very surprising too. This is the one weekend uh, I have free for like the next, I don't know, three months. <laughs> so it wow. worked out perfectly. Okay. So why don't you take a second and introduce yourself? Uh, sure. So uh, again, like you said, I'm AJ Zito. I'm a, uh, a real gunsmith. Um, I build uh, custom 1911s and uh, double stack 1911s, which are commonly referred to as 2011s out there. Um, so that's like, I guess now that would be my side gig. My primary gig is uh, I, I run a company called Practical Performance, where I travel the country uh, teaching uh, performance shooting. Um, so I've been doing that uh, since 2015 under this banner, uh, but uh, teaching since about 2009. Uh, overall under different different entities and uh, different uh, different realms uh, you know some some uh, spent a lot of time in executive protection private security detail training um, after I got out of the military so and now uh, you know I'm avid competitor uh, you know I, I believe shooting guns at a high level makes me much better at building guns at a high level so yeah so that's what okay. I do now yeah, that makes perfect sense. If you know what they're like when you're using them, then you can get a better understanding of what people would want. So I get it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, uh, you know, it's kind of like a gunsmith that can't shoot is, is like a, a violin maker that can't play the violin. Would you ever buy a violin from that guy? No, absolutely not. Same thing with a gunsmith. So, yeah, that's a good analogy. Because I, I definitely would not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I might as well just make it myself at that point. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, AJ, what we normally do at the very beginning is we ask five extremely personal questions to get to know you. 
it's, it's almost as bad as a proctology exam. Maybe not oh, quite, but, but <laughs> all right, Let's they're very basic. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite movie? Oh man. So uh, that is, that is such a hard one. So, um, so you see the bookcase behind me Yeah. Uh, in the other room, there's a bookcase relatively this side filled with movies. I, I love movies. So picking a favorite is, uh, wow. Super difficult, super difficult. I am probably, oh man. Oh man. I don't even know. I don't know. Uh, somewhere, somewhere between John Wick and, uh, you know, the 13th warrior somewhere in there. Those are some of my favorites. Uh, uh, the 13th warrior. I don't even know if I've heard of that. Oh, Oh, fantastic movie. Fantastic movie. Um, Antonio Banderas, uh, plays, uh, uh, an Arab, not quite an Arab prince, but, uh, Arab uh, gentleman, um, and it's basically the story of Beowulf told from a more realistic sense, uh, I guess, and and from his perspective. Uh, so, just a fantastic movie um, uh, based on a based on a book called I think it was called The Eaters of the Dead. Um, just just amazing book, uh, amazing movie. Mm. Highly highly recommend it for anyone that that loves a good action flick with some, some, you know, good heart pounding stuff going on. I will have to check that out. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. And Antonio Banderas is no slouch. So <laughs> indeed, indeed Should be a good flick. Yeah. Well, it's good. You brought up books because that's question number two. What's your favorite book? Ooh, Ooh, favorite book. <sighs> that's a good question. Um, I like a lot of books. I'll tell you, uh, if I can narrow it down, honestly, uh, the entire collection of the Sherlock Holmes stories mm. would be okay. my, my favorite, uh, my okay. book, if you compile them into a book. Yeah. So, uh, that would be my favorite. Have you read them all? I have, I have read them all and multiple times. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I just, you know, I love, I love deductive reasoning or inductive reasoning as it really is. But, um, uh, I just love the stories. I love the character, uh, in all the iterations of it. So, uh, yeah, just absolutely my favorite. Okay. It's funny when I was growing up, I used to read, uh, Nancy Drew and Hardy boys mm -hmm. all the time. Sure. Absolutely. Easy absolutely. reading for a kid. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, my mom was a huge Nancy Drew fan. And for years and years, I tried to find her uh, first edition copies of Nancy Drew. Uh, oh, and I'm wow. sure her love of that somehow ended up with my love of Sherlock Holmes. So, uh, <laughs> right. It's, it's great. <laughs> very similar. Yeah. Different level, but very similar. Exactly. Exactly. So one of our uh, one of the other co-hosts, um, he's working today. But the question he liked to ask everybody was, who's your favorite superhero? Ooh. Okay. Favorite superhero. I'm not sure this counts as a superhero, but uh, I'm going to say Zorro by far. Okay. Uh, uh, and, is and is that another Antonio Banderas reference? No, actually. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was a huge Zorro fan 
long before Antonio Banderas ever played it, you know, back to, to Guy Williams and really Tyrone Power in, in the 30s and 40s. Um, and really, I'll tell you, my love of, of Zorro comes from the fact that uh, he has zero reason to do what he does. Uh, you know, he's a, a rich, a rich Spanish landowner in, in California and really has no reason to do what he does. You know, there's no vengeance story. There's no anything other than his his desire for justice. And that's why I like him. So, uh, OK, so he's like the uh, Hispanic Batman. Uh, except there's no vengeance story. Right. You know? So that's yeah, that's the thing, man. And he's a dark character and it's. He's fantastic. So I would say he would be my favorite. Cool. Plus, I mean, he's a master swordsman. Skill skill in any martial art is always a, you know, a huge drive for me. So, okay. so yeah. Now, the next question, um, it, I mean, we might already know through the introduction, but uh, favorite gun and caliber. Now, just because, like, let's say your favorite gun's a 1911 doesn't mean your favorite caliber is 45. Right. So they exactly. can be different. Yeah, so and that's a great uh, a great segue because my favorite is absolutely a 1911, uh, but in nine millimeter, which I know is sacrilege for a lot of people. Um, until you shoot one that's well built, and then you go, "Oh, gotcha! I get now that I get now. it." Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah absolutely nine millimeter 1911 government government size gun is is fantastic. And I would say before the 2000s, I would say. It would be sacrilege to mention nine mil and a forty-five, but now, I mean, even with the quality of the nine mil ammunition and the technology, with all the improvements, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I've got a forty-five back there that was built back in the eighties at yeah. Quantico, and um, you know, I would never want to see it in nine mil, but I would definitely own a nineteen eleven today in nine mil for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, so I try to ask one personal question that's that's more instead of general questions like that, one that's focused just on you. Okay. With all the military guys, I like to ask you, what was your favorite time or moment in the military? It can be a duty station. It can be any experience you had. Uh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, 100% uh, deployment. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget. We were... Uh, so we were on a, uh, a QRF, uh, quick reaction force kind of set up uh, at the time. And uh, someone's, you know, some firefight kicked off and uh, they track this guy into this little group of, of houses. And uh, so we get called out QRF and we've got uh, apparently one of the, the Blackhawks uh, was, was out there flying around and saw the houses. And, it, and you know, the roads where we were were super scrambled. Maps don't do it justice and stuff. So the, uh, the Blackhawk helicopter said, hey, just follow me. And this guy's flying, you know, 60 feet off the deck. And we're right behind him going 70 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour down these dirt roads. And that was probably the coolest moment uh, uh, in, in my military career, for sure. Um, you know, going to hit a house and following this low-flying Blackhawk, uh, you know, with Apaches over on the other side. It was just super cool moment. Uh, but yeah, any, you know, my deployment was the best time I spent in, in the military, hands down. 
So, uh, yeah. Okay. And I know you only spent three years in, um, mm -hmm. was it just not what you expected? So you wanted to get out or what, what made you decide to get out? Yeah, uh, absolutely not, uh, not what I expected, uh, without getting too deep into it. Uh, you know, uh, I got really tired of people basing their actions on their their next job or getting promoted versus what was supposed to be done and why we were there. Uh, so I, frankly, I had just had enough of that, uh, you know, and, you know, it's no secret the Army and I just did not see eye to eye on almost anything. Um, so, uh, yeah, I knew when my time was up. I did almost stay in. Uh, I had a really great battalion commander. Um, at my uh, my last unit uh, when I was a, a fire support officer and uh, uh, I did almost stay in and I'll never forget it was the last day uh, and I had just come out of the battalion commander's office with him you know he's like hey I want to send you to the schoolhouse and be a teacher or come back and you know be the battalion fire support officer and I was like well maybe I'll do one more deployment and uh, I was going to drop my packet for SF uh, which I just wasn't they pretty much let me know that's not happening period unless you attempt another uh another deployment and I was like oh maybe I'll do it and then I mm -hmm. ran into another officer uh there who was a battalion staff officer and uh the interaction with him immediately reminded me why I was leaving the military and solidified the decision so up until my last day <laughs> I almost stayed and then that one interaction with that one person I said nope this is this is exactly why so uh yeah not not uh we just didn't see eye to eye on on how soldiering should be i guess so i i got you i spent nine and a half years in the marines and mm -hmm. when i got out it was a lot of the same stuff it was very political back then um yeah clinton it was clinton's first term Oof. I, I was at uh, the schoolhouse at Quantico at the sniper school. And we were having to go through sensitivity training. Um, they sent uh, an actual, they sent a representative from, so apparently they have green berets up at the white house to help with security stuff, things like that. Sure. They actually sent one down to our, our schoolhouse to, to, monitor us that's wow. what uh the clinton people did so yeah stuff like that is like uh i'm done I'm out. yeah so yep <laughs> it is uh, and it was crazy. disappointing you know i had spent my entire life planning on being in the army and staying in the army forever and, and uh you know less than a year into it i knew it was not where i was going to stay but um it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have wonderful memories and there's still a lot of guys that, you know, I served with that are good people. So. Absolutely. So when did you first shoot a gun? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> when did I first shoot a gun? You know, honestly, I cannot, uh, I cannot remember the first time I was very young. I know, I know that, um, okay. Uh, maybe five or six. Years so you grew old. up with guns. Well, so I say that I, yes and no. You know, I grew up uh, uh, outside Chicago, about forty miles, fifty miles outside Chicago, 
Um, so we we had guns, but we really didn't shoot guns. Like it was that your your typical like, hey, once a year we broke out the gun and shot you know ten fifteen rounds out of it, and and you know at a at a little little target, and then all right, we did our shooting for the year kind of stuff. We pulled out a shotgun through you know through some clays and shot those, and then it was like, okay, we shot for a year. Um, like your recall. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, so it wasn't, it wasn't really a thing. I didn't really grow up uh, shooting, um, uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, and then when I was, so I went to a military high school um, and uh, rifle qualification was part of our curriculum. You got graded on it. Um, so I remember my first year in high school, uh, you know, I tried out for our rifle team thinking I knew how to shoot rifles and I didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, uh, right about then, you know, I remember talking to my dad and being like, listen, I need to like learn how to shoot, like really shoot. And, uh, you know, I learned, I learned well enough at the time to, to, you know, qualify as an expert marksman, which, you know, really in the long run, isn't, uh, isn't an overwhelming feat, uh, but it requires good fundamentals at least to, to yeah. apply them. So, um, so yeah, that's where I kind of learned about fundamentals and started shooting. Um, and then really, I really started shooting when I got into college and, uh, and, uh, when I got into college and then when I got back from, uh, back from Iraq, uh, that's when I really started shooting, uh, heavily. So, but yeah, okay. no, didn't really grow up shooting that much. And, and if, I if I remember correctly, did you go to a military high school? Yeah. So I went to a military high school and a military college. So, oh. okay. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. So now, uh, in high school, what rifle were they giving you to qualify with? Oh man. It was, a. Uh, uh, it was a, uh, and I will forget, I forget the model number, but it was a, it was a 22 caliber Remington, um, large, large stock. God, I cannot remember old gun, real old training gun. Um, you know, old peep sights. Uh, mm. it was great though. Peep I mean, sites, it was wow. good. Enough. Yep. Yep. Legit peep okay. sights. Uh, you know, and we did it. We had a, a rifle range in the basement of the school a legit rifle range. Um, and we would go down there once a year to qualify, you know, you'd shoot, uh, qualification was like two weeks long. Uh, so one day, uh, two days a week, you shot in the first week to, uh, familiarize yourself with shooting. And okay. then, uh, you know, your last two weeks you had, you know, two, two attempts to qual. Um, and, and the qual at the time was really like, can you group? All right. If you can group, <laughs> you qualify expert. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing in incredibly difficult, but yeah, now, military what, high school, military college. What college was it? Uh, so I went to, uh, Norwich university, military college of Vermont. Uh, okay. the country's oldest private military institution. So, wow. Yep. Uh, literally cool. the birthplace of ROTC. So, yep. That is cool. Yeah. Lots of tradition. 
very old, uh, you know, 1819, uh, we, the school was established. Um, so, uh, lots of, lots of history there. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so you decide you're going, you, you graduate college, you go into the army, um, you decide you're going to get out. How do you transition from the army to being a gunsmith slash competitor slash protective body detail type stuff? I mean, sure, sure. Um, so, uh, so when I was getting out of the army, um, I kind of knew, right. So I had, um, I guess one of the other really cool things I got to do when I was in the army uh, was I was a liaison to uh, Vice President Cheney's uh, Secret Service counter assault team. So uh, I got to spend some time with those guys on their protective detail, very short, but it was very cool. Um, and I, you know, it turned out one of the guys was a Norwich guy as well. And then a couple of other guys, you know, were from my hometown. And I was like, oh man, this is super cool. Tell me more about this, this counter assault team thing. Um, and you know, they kind of laid it out and I was like, well, maybe this, this PSD kind of stuff, protective detail stuff is something I want to look into. Uh, so when it came time for me to kind of get out of the army, um, I had a, a friend that, uh, kind of pointed me in the direction of, uh, you know, how to get started working executive protection and, and private security details. Um, so pretty much like the minute I got out of the army, I packed up, I, I packed up my apartment threw everything in one of those pods where they like store it for a long term. Yeah. Uh, you know, packed, packed, uh, two weeks worth of clothing, um, any equipment I thought I needed. And I headed out to this school in, uh, in Colorado, uh, to spend 28 days learning how to work executive protection. Um, and just went kind of all into that. Um, and then while I was there, uh, you know, the last week or so is their shooting package. So, uh, finished, uh, top gun in their shooting package. And they offered me a job as a, as a shooting instructor or an adjunct shooting instructor. And I said, Oh, okay. So let's, let's see how this goes. So I taught there for several years. Um, both in their executive protection and their private security detail programs. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. That kind of started me down the, the teaching realm of, of shooting. So, uh, and then <laughs> funny enough, I was, I was teaching there one year for their, uh, their PSD program and, uh, worked with a lot of, a lot of really good dudes, uh, uh, a lot of really great PSD guys, um, there and uh i was waiting on a contract and and you know my my very sad psd you know <laughs> career uh ended up me waiting on contracts forever and ever and ever and ever mm, and never yeah. getting to go do anything as I, I was very upset about that so i spent more time teaching uh than i did doing which was very upsetting um to me so right about my last uh you know my last bit, I was teaching at the school, waiting on a contract. And, uh, we had these, these guns that, you know, we, we rented out to students, uh, for our shooting package. At that time, the shooting package was 10 days long. Uh, and of course, you know, 
you put enough rounds through a gun, guns start going down. And apparently I was the only one that, you know, I worked on my own guns because I had taken guns to gunsmiths before and it did not turn out the way I wanted it. So I was just working on my own guns, not really knowing what the hell I was doing. I just, just I'm sorry, not really knowing what I was no, doing. No, you're fine. But, but uh, uh, you know, like uh, I understood how to rebuild an AR and, 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 you know, how to rebuild a Glock and an MP and stuff. So uh, I thought, man, you know, it would be good to make some money in between contracts or waiting on contracts would be uh, gunsmithing. And uh, several years before that, I had someone build me a custom 1911 and I got to go down and see the process and watch him, you know, for a day build it. And I thought, you know, that's super cool. I could really get into that. Um, and so I looked up a school. Once I got done there, I looked up a school for gunsmithing, uh, found it. Uh, you know, which ended up being Yavapai College in uh, Arizona, Prescott, Arizona. Uh, I applied and they said, well, it's a two-year waiting list. So uh, we'll call wow. you in two years. And I said, oh, okay. So I remember applying to another contract and it must have been uh, July. Yeah, July something and school started like the second week of August. Uh, I applied to a contract and then my phone rings. And it was uh, uh, one of the people from the school. They're like, hey, you still want to go to gunsmithing school? We got an opening and you can get in this semester. And I was like, oh, OK. So again, wow. you know, I pack up all my stuff and I go go to gunsmithing school. And uh, um, yeah, so uh, I ended up out here. And again, you know, uh, I start uh, uh, I finished up, started to finish up my last year there. And then halfway through my last year, the uh, the program director uh, offered me a job teaching there. So I uh, taught gunsmithing for uh, five years or so um, um, there as I started. You know, I took a break from teaching shooting to go to gunsmithing school because the schedules really don't really don't work out at all. Um, yeah. So. So, yeah, when I started teaching back at the college, I started picking up teaching shooting again. Uh, as well as gunsmithing. And so uh, now I no longer teach at the college and I just teach shooting and I build guns. So yeah, cool. that's how it all fell together. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Interesting path to get to where you are today. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when did, did you have a bachelor's of science or did you have a bachelor's of arts before? Yeah. So I had a bachelor, uh, bachelor's of arts in uh, criminal justice. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Which actually worked out pretty well because when I graduated uh, the gunsmithing program, um, because I had military time and I had, you know, my bachelor's already, uh, mm -hmm. I ended up getting an associate's in applied sciences just based on because I had all my core stuff already done right. and then on top of that. So, uh, yeah. So I ended up with another degree, an associate's degree uh, for but, that. But it wasn't it wasn't like you had an engineering degree. So it was a cakewalk going through gunsmithing school. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Not at all. You know, I, I knew just enough about gunsmithing to be dangerous to myself when I walked in. there. <laughs> and, and that, <laughs> so that was that was it. <laughs> you That's know, I funny. didn't didn't know how to machine, didn't know how to do anything. So it was all, uh, you know, I learned from the ground up there. Um, but luckily, you know, I pretty good mechanical aptitude. I, I, I like to figure out how things work. I like mechanics. Uh, so it was, uh, 
definitely spoke to me. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. So okay. and still do. Now with, with as busy as you are, like you're saying the next three months you're packed. Yeah. How, how much time do you get to actually work on building guns these days? Not a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so, uh, yeah. So I'll tell you my, my weekly schedule normally looks about like this. Um, uh, I'll fly out to a class, uh, teach the class, whether by myself or with, you know, obviously Tim or, uh, uh, Bonner Samurai project, Scott Jedlinski. I teach with him all the time. Um, so I'll normally fly out, teach with them, uh, teach with him or on my own, get home at about four, between 4 and 8 p.m. And then uh, about 8 a.m., eh, 9 a.m. the next morning, I'll go into the shop and start working on guns. And I'll do that until I have to get on my flight for the next class the next day or so later. Uh, um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I assume there's, do you drink coffee or some type of caffeinated lots, beverage? Lots and lots okay. of coffee. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, as soon as you're talking, I'm like, man, that's a that that's a lot of coffee. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've been oh, trying man. to be really good and cut back because, uh, uh, you know, a pot a day is is uh, now <laughs> a little little too shaky for me. Right. So, uh, so, but yep, yep. So, it, and if someone were to order, say, a custom build, I mean, how long sure. of a uh, week so, is it? Yeah, so right now we're a minimum of two years uh, wow. out. Okay. Yep. And that's, you know, that's based on the reason it's two years um, is based on my teaching schedule right now with the amount of time I'm in the shop uh, plus parts availability. Um, I, I estimate if you ordered a gun today, uh, I would have it ready in about two years. Now, that being said, I have a backlog right now of, you know, people that have been waiting patiently that are definitely coming close to that, that mark and their guns are just getting finished up. So, uh, so yeah. Okay. And parts availability, uh, based on what we're seeing going on in DC right now could get much worse. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, the, uh, the, uh, there's a lot of factors, especially for a custom 1911 that, that get, get sent in when it comes to parts availability. You know, I have a company that, uh, uh, builds frames for me so that they're oversized mm. and correct, you know, and it has, you know, practical performance on, on the side with my, my, my serial numbers that are associated with, with my company. Um, but, uh, you know, at one point, I could call them up and be like, listen, I need uh, five frames. Uh, these are the types of frames I need and I need slides um, for them as well. Uh, how long? And they'd be like, eh, three weeks. Okay, cool. Now I call up and I'm like, hey, I need one frame. They're like, cool, three to four months. It's like, oh, okay. Wow. Uh, yep. So, uh, you know, availability of steel, availability of, of you know, the, their backlog, uh, all sorts of things uh, fall into it. And, you know, now I'm sure everyone has figured out if you've ever ordered anything from Brownells, uh, 
you know, uh, Brownells has basically crashed at this point uh, with all the people buying stuff. And it's the same at every other company, you know, uh, uh, EGW, um, if you're familiar with the 1911 world, EGW builds lots of custom parts, oversized parts for gunsmiths. Um, and I, we use a lot of their parts in my shop. Uh, but you know, everyone else uses a lot of their parts too. So getting yeah, parts is, I mean, is I've rough. got a 20 MOA base from them on that rifle right behind me. Yep. So yeah, yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. Holy cow. It's like, it's like the shortage moves from one thing to another, but never leaves like ammo parts, but it, it keeps the problem as, as it keeps <laughs> migrating. It, the problem behind it doesn't get fixed. Yeah, wow. exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's gotten pretty crazy, pretty crazy yeah, for sure. Now, how, at what point did you get into shooting competition? Oh, you know what? That's a great question. And I just found this out yesterday. Uh, oh. I, uh, <laughs> Perfect timing. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and, and the only reason I found it out was because uh, uh, my uh, IDPA renewal was uh, due and they just sent me a new membership card and it's got go. members since. Um, so uh, I started in IDPA uh, competition uh, in 2013, apparently. <laughs> so Okay. Yeah. So, uh, that's where I started. And I'll tell you, I had a real false sense of what my skills were at the time, uh, for sure. Uh, competition does an amazing job of letting you know where you really stand in, in the world. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I'll tell you my first, uh, my first shooting competition was an IDPA classifier match. Um, so I showed up and, uh, I didn't really know a ton about it. And they were like, Hey, you're going to shoot this. And I said, okay. So I shot that. And then they're like, okay, on the next stage, you're going to shoot this. And I said, okay, you know, it's a classifier. So it's a, it's all standardized, uh, right. you know, stuff. Uh, so I shoot it and they're like, Oh my gosh, you made master. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Sounds pretty good to me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. Oh. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, at, so I'll say this, and I'm not trying to disparage uh, IDPA at all, but a master in IDPA is not the same as a master in USPSA. Um, it is very different. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I really learned my lesson when I shot my first USPSA match. Um, and I realized, oh, yeah, like this dentist uh, uh, is pretty good and he just destroyed me and I carry a gun for a living. So maybe there is more to this than I thought. Um, so yeah, so that really uh, was an eye opener and it really let me know where I stood uh, uh, in the world of shooting. And I was not where I should have been or where I wanted to be, you know, at that point uh, in my shooting career. So, yeah. Now, what is your classification in USPSA? Uh, so in USPSA, I am a uh, master in uh, single single stack division, which okay. is 1911s, uh, uh, really just classic 1911 looking guns. So, yeah. Now, I am also um, an IDPA member as well as USPSA. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy it. It's, it's fun. It's, it's shooting, you know? Yeah. I mean, who do, if, if you're in this... You, 
you enjoy it. So I enjoy all aspects of shooting. Um, yeah. But I feel I feel like my USPSA game helped my IDPA game. Um, and I feel like my IDPA game keeps me honest with, you know, what my dot is doing and calling my shots because it's so much more critical to make sure your shots are accurate. And I don't want to, not always, but, you know, every stage is the same in IDPA and that you need to minimize the, the number of points down. Mm-hmm. Whereas in USPSA, it might be like, you know what? I can shoot some C's here because I need to shoot fast and I need to keep my time at a minimum. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So there's a different strategy at times, but uh, I think they benefit each other in different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll a hundred percent agree with that. Uh, you know, it's very, uh, it's very uncommon for us to see a high level IDPA shooter that isn't also a, uh, a USPSA shooter. It really doesn't happen that way uh, and not vice versa. Um, uh, you know, IDPA, I, I really like the new, I don't know which iteration this week we're on of the rules in IDPA, but uh, uh, <laughs> the, the new rules um, that have just come out i think uh idpa is in its best place than that it's been at um you know i was a big fan of the one second change um for points down you know used to be a half per point now it's a full second per point Uh, but really what that did it's good and bad uh what that did was it eliminated the need for me to decide if it was worth making up uh, a shot. Now, I know if it's not a down zero uh, because there's not a shot out there I can't make up in one second. Uh, It's guaranteed if I don't call a good shot on it, I'm making it up. Um, And that's, you know, part of USPSA is very complex. It's a very complex sport because you do need to make those instantaneous decisions of, is this shot worth making up a Charlie on or a Delta on, or was it fast enough where I can leave it and absorb those points um, and still have a great time. Uh, So there's much more thinking, but um, you know, the nice thing too, as a guy who carries a single stack 1911 and nine mil with a dot and a light on it from appendix. Now I can shoot an IDPA uh, in, in carry optics division uh, with the stuff I carry every day, which is awesome versus, uh, you know, if I wanted to shoot my carry gun in USPSA, uh, I'm in open division, which it's really hard to compete against guys with, uh, uh, compensators and 38 super and uh, 170 yeah. millimeter magazines when yeah. I'm carrying a 10 round gun. Um, you're definitely not competing against them. <laughs> you yeah, might be in the yeah. same division, but you're not competing against them. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I, I've done it for fun. I, you know, I used to shoot USPSA from uh, appendix quite a bit. Um, uh, but now that IDPA has allowed it, um, I'm really looking forward to shooting IDPA uh, this year uh, and next year with the new rules. Um, so I can actually use my carry stuff, uh, which is great. So so and that, that was going to be uh, my next question now is so you're shooting um a 1911 with a slide mounted optic uh for my carry gun yep yep okay. i shoot a uh, 
that's it. And and competition or no? Uh, so okay. in in competition, so so I guess I should rephrase that now. Uh, IDPA, I'm shooting the same gun I carry, exact same gun I carry. Okay, um, that's what I, the, I do the same thing. Yeah, so uh, because I can do that within the within the rule set and be competitive. Uh, you know, part of the thing about uh, uh, <laughs> me is, I mean, I like to win. I, I am competitive. <laughs> I like to be the best and I will do what it takes, you know, uh, 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 skill set wise to to do that. Um, so in USPSA, my carry gun is not competitive. They don't allow single action guns in carry optics division. Um, so uh, I shoot a, a government size 1911 uh in single stack division, I was shooting uh, a 45 uh, up until literally yesterday. Uh, I switched over to my um, uh, my nine millimeter single stack 1911 iron sighted gun, um, and I'll be shooting that for the foreseeable future in in USPSA. Now, how much do you think the minor scoring will affect you? It hurts. <laughs> it definitely hurts. <laughs> uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, so I shot, uh, uh, I shot my first local match in almost a year yesterday, uh, cause I was actually mm. home. Um, okay. so, uh, and I shot it with my minor gun. Um, and you know, Charlie's hurt. Um, you're scoring about half the amount of points as you would if I was shooting 45. Um, but really the decision came down to, I am on the road so much uh, and I am shooting nine millimeters so much uh, that I am not that guy that can go from nine mil to 45, you know, in an instant and have the same performance. I have to spend time there, you know, recoils a thing, timing of recoils a thing. Yeah. Um, I can't, you know, and I know uh, Mike Seeklander and I have had that conversation before and he's like, no, 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 it doesn't matter. I, I can go back and forth, watch. And I'm like, that's great, Mike. That's you. I, I'm not that guy. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I need time to learn, learn the recoil of the gun, learn the timing of the gun. Uh, so for the foreseeable future, I'll be shooting nine mil in, in everything. Um, but yeah, bleeding Charlie's hurts. I got to be far, far more uh, disciplined in my in my sight packages, uh, as well as, uh, you know, with my makeup shots. Sometimes it definitely pays, you know, with a with a major gun, uh, I would almost n never blink blink at a at a charlie hit because i'm like ah, it's four points i'm good to go and i'll just move on with a minor gun uh i'll probably start making up a lot more charlies um than i had in the past you know uh tim and i have had this conversation quite a lot you know i'm always trying to shoot somewhere between 93 and 95 percent of points uh available points um and that's a lot harder with a minor gun. <laughs> so, so yeah, I have to accept a lot less. So right. Well, and and Nils almost completely changed the game last year. Yep. So yep. he shows that you can be competitive with a nine even against major scoring. So absolutely. And you know, uh, we've had this debate. So I shot nine minor for a long time, and uh, I've told this story before, but I I think it's always funny, especially now that I've gone back to minor. 
uh, the day I threw down my minor single stack gun was the day I missed making master by one target point. Um, oh, wow. And I was so mad. I was like, all right, forget this. And I grabbed, grabbed a major gun out and, you know, the next classifier I made master uh, just because of the points difference between minor and, and major. Um, but Tim and I debated forever. Uh, and he's the one that convinced me to stick with major. Uh, and I did for, for quite a while, but now he's starting to come around to the minor camp. Oh, So uh, it's, it's still debatable, uh, very debatable. Um, but we saw this year, just uh, not too long ago, Dave Savigny, uh, for those that are familiar with Dave, uh, came back to single stack nationals uh, after quite a, quite a hiatus uh, yeah. and shot a minor gun and, uh, you know, took second. At, yeah, yeah. And it was amazing. And it was like a, a legitimate, like, yeah, man, he, he whooped up on some people. Uh, no, no <laughs> doubt about it. And it was with a minor gun legitimately. Now, had he been shooting major, he still wouldn't have had enough points to beat Nils because Nils was on another level like Nils is. Nils um, is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there it's he's he's an amazingly skilled shooter. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because he's put he has put the work in, uh, you know, and it shows. And you're absolutely yeah. right. You know, he's proven to everyone that. Uh, Listen, man, you can be the fastest one out there and still be the most accurate one out there. So that's what he does, and that's why he wins. So, but yeah, Dave Savigny really laid the hurt on and kind of let everyone know, hey, single stack miner is a thing. We can make this work. You just got to be a good shooter to do it, or a great shooter to do it, because Dave is. Yeah. Well, sure. and 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 had Nils not competed, I mean, Dave would have won with a, a minor absolutely single stack. I mean, it would have been wow. That would have set everything on fire. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it would have been the first, you know, the first legitimate nationals win with a minor gun. And and it's coming. Eventually. It is coming. coming. I don't yeah. know when, but it's coming and it's it it's it's going to happen at some point. Um, it is. So because one of these high level guys is gonna compete with a nine millimeter gun and win. Everybody like, well, like you said, they're like, well, we knew it was coming. We just didn't know when or who. Exactly. Exactly. So I hope it's Tim. Uh, I really do, <laughs> but, uh, but it's coming sooner or later. It's coming. Now, how did, how did you and Tim hook up? How did you guys meet each other? Oh yeah. That's a, so that's a great question. Uh, so the first time I, I'll say we met was actually, uh, we were doing a podcast uh, on a, uh, well, let me put it like this. I was on a podcast uh, that was a bunch of other 1911 uh, gunsmith guys. Uh, and this podcast is infamous uh, because it went eight hours long and that was just the recorded Whoa. time. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, so it was me, uh, Dave Laubert uh, of Defensive Creations, Joe Chambers of Chambers Custom, and then a bunch of uh, other other 1911 guys jumping in and out. And Tim uh, was there. He jumped into the conversation. That was really, you know, the first time he and I had ever talked um, a little bit uh, in there. And then not too long after that, uh, you know, I wrote him a message and I said, hey, uh, 
I want to sign up for your class, or actually I said, I want to host your class up by me. Um, and he said, yeah, sure, no problem. Well, he happened to have another class he was teaching down in Phoenix. I'm about two hours north of Phoenix um, uh, sooner. And I was like, well, I'm going to come down to that class and take it because I want to see, I need this information now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I drove down and that was actually the first time Tim and I met in person was at his class. Um, so, so uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, fast friends uh, since then, of course, 1911 guys, I mean, you know, diehard 1911 guys plus competitive right. shooters. Uh, you know, it was, it was great. And, you know, it, it's, the, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about him, you know, one of my best friends in the whole world. So I, I uh, just don't know yeah. how you guys shoot in Phoenix. Yeah. Holy well, cow. I have, I avoid it like the plague. Um, okay. December to February is great to shoot in Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Cause uh, it gets down below 90. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, 85, uh, but it's, it's fine. Yeah. So uh, the nice thing about where I'm at, uh, cause I'm up in the mountains uh, it's rare for us to break a hundred up here. Uh, so it's pretty great. Like, I mean, so again, shot my first match in a long time yesterday. Uh, and it was 75 breezy. Oh, wow. It was just fantastic. And I was like, yep, this is why I moved here. This is great. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, yeah. So I'll so never how... forget one of the, sorry. No, uh, no, one, right of the, ahead. one of the first conversations Tim and I had, uh, you know, uh, was about him stealing the name of my company. Uh, if, <laughs> if, uh, uh, he, he actually pointed it out and sent me a message early on. I'm not even sure if we had met yet at the time. And he was like, Oh, Hey, uh, yeah. So your company name is practical performance. I was like, yep. He's like, my class's name is practical performance. I was like, yep. Except my company has been around since 2015. He's like, I'm so sorry. I was like, it's okay, dude. Do I need to change the name of my class? No, you go right ahead and, and use practical performance. So, and still to this day, the name of his class is practical performance, which I think is funny. So every time I host Tim, it's Tim Heron's practical performance sponsored by practical performance. So we got all the performances <laughs> going on. Right. Oh goodness. <laughs> so, so yeah, you guys, you guys do that much. I, how frequently do you guys do classes together? Yeah. So, uh, so our joint class, so we have a joint class, two joint classes, actually. Um, we have the first one, which is practice with purpose, which is a one day version. And then we have, uh, our two day version, which is train for mastery. Um, and those are our joint classes. And this year, I think we're doing that six times this year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, and then we've got, uh, so far, just a couple on the books for next year um, right now. But again, uh, yeah, so that class is, is super cool. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different approach than, than we've seen anywhere else because it, it really is a technique agnostic class. Uh, it is, it is all about how to level up your performance. Um, and, and really how, how to practice to get better. Cause the number one thing we do, you know, 
especially guys when we hit plateaus is we just keep trying to keep trying to do the same thing over and over again and it just doesn't work um so so these classes are really born out of that idea of well how how come i'm not getting better how do i get better what are the things i need to do to get better and it's not a technique change you know lots of us throw technique changes in when really it's a it's a uh it's a training methodology that needs to change, not a, the technique that needs to change. So and yeah, like lift, lifting weights, you know, you hit a reach a certain plateau, you've got to do something method wise different to break that plateau. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, that's one thing a lot of people forget is, you know, as, as maybe not as uh, exerting as it is, but um, shooting is still a, an athletic uh, endeavor. It, it really is, you know, there's uh, hand eye coordination, visual acuity, all sorts of things are all play into this. It is an athletic endeavor. Uh, yet we don't necessarily treat it like ath- athletic endeavors like weightlifting or running or, or doing any of these other, uh, you know, uh, athletic tasks. And really, we need to approach them like that, as well as understanding, you know, how we learn and how we progress as humans, uh, yeah. uh, human beings, you know, there's so much of it, um, that goes into shooting that we just, we just think, Oh, if I just do this millions and millions and millions of times the same way, I will get better. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, to a point, And then you won't get better. And then you'll stay exactly there. And I promise you learning a different, you know, a different way to do it, it may not be the answer. Once you've got solid technique, you've got solid technique. It's training methodology that needs to progress. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like a really famous guy called that the definition of insanity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He might've been onto something. I, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> now you mentioned, um, Scott Jedlinski, the Jedi. Yep. Um, so how I, I know he's had um, some recent surgery, so he's been slowed a little bit, which has probably picked up <laughs> the training let, pace for everybody else. Let me let me tell you about his slowed down. Right. <laughs> okay. and I hope he sees this. Right. So he goes into <laughs> surgery and he's like, hey, we're going to slow it down. I was like, oh, OK. Six weeks later, we're on the road for 35 days straight, slowing down. Six so weeks the- later. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. It was basically the minute the doctor said, uh, as long as you keep doing physical therapy and working out, uh, you can go on the road. And it was like, okay, here we go. We're on the road now. Uh, wow. so yeah. Yep. Uh, no grass grows under his feet. I promise you that. <laughs> so wow. yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go all the time. So how, Teaching wise, mm-hmm. how and I don't want to say difficult, but what's the what's the transition from teaching red dots uh, all the time to like a nineteen eleven with iron sights? Sure. Um, so I'm going to give you one of the dirty secrets of of shooting. Ooh, uh, I like it. Yeah, of shooting iron sights, uh, and that's you should be shooting your iron sights more closely to how you shoot a red dot uh, versus 
the other way around. Uh, one of the things I talk heavily in my classes, we've, we've pretty much been taught how to do two things incorrectly in, in our entire shooting careers. And that's uh, shooting pistol sights at, at practical speeds and gripping the handgun. Uh, we really have done a disservice to, to ourselves and to shooters by not fully understanding those concepts. Um, I'm a huge proponent of being more, there are fluctuating uh, uh, statuses on this, but more target focused uh, with iron sights than we are typically taught. Um, you know, as, as a former precision marksman yourself, right, uh, you know, the, the clear, crisp front sight makes a lot of sense at certain times. But there's a lot of stuff we do with pistols that that actually ends up hurting us because we can't refine targets. Uh, right. And if I can't refine my target, I can't really place accurate shots on my target. So for me, and this is something I ran into, I, I was teaching... Uh, uh, again, at that school in Colorado, and we were doing a, uh, there's tons of names for it, but we called it a walk back drill and just see how far we could get back. Um, and I realized, you know, right about the hundred yard ish, 120 yard ish mark, uh, I could no longer refine the AC size piece of steel, uh, and, you know, with a, with a clear, crisp front sight focus. Uh, and so I would start missing. And the day I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and focus on that, uh, on that piece of steel and just let my sights be kind of all blurry. And 100 yards, 120 yards, 150 yards, back to we ran out of space at 175 yards, but I was placing accurate shots at 175 yards. And the most impressive part of that was that it was with a Smith and Wesson M and P. So, you know, that had to be good. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, um, that was probably the day that I started really embracing, uh, uh, more of what I refer to as soft sight focuses on, on my iron sights for a lot of applications. Um, and I think if we really adopted that, uh, which is typically how we teach, red dots you know a, a target focus with uh yeah what i refer to as dot awareness uh i want to be aware of the red dot not focused on the red dot when i shoot right. red dots um if if we apply that same idea to to uh iron sights i i've seen we have a lot better success in our shooting uh when we do that um so yeah, I'm a huge proponent of, of more soft sight pictures, more, more harder target focuses on all sighting systems, um, that I, that I've utilized. So. And, and Tim had brought up something I had never even considered. Um, and he talked about using basically quartering the target with a gross sight picture, just using the rear sight. And I was like, wow, I had never even considered that. And yep. it's funny, just last week, someone on Instagram who had listened to that podcast posted a video of them shooting saying, I, I heard Tim Heron talking about this. I'd never heard of it before. He's like, wow, a light bulb has gone off. And <laughs> and I mean, because with a, a scoped rifle, that's what you do. 
Yep. You've got your your aiming area and you quarter your aiming area. And when he said that, I was like, when he was just talking about, you know, you you cut your target in half with the rear sight, I was like, you're just quartering the target like I would do with a scope. I mean, I had never all the years. I mean, I think I I qualified expert with a pistol in the military like five or six times. Mm -hmm. And never once did I ever consider, oh, let me just quarter the target with my sights. Uh, duh, that would have made so much more sense. <laughs> wow. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and again, had I just treated it like a, a dot and focused on my target and not my front sight so much, I probably would have done a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, uh, Tim brings up, a he goes more in depth than I do uh, in my class about the importance of, of the rear sight, um, you know, and how, how much we honestly underutilize the rear sight traditionally, uh, versus how we could, we could really be utilizing it a lot more. Uh, and yeah. that, that technique of having the target is, uh, is definitely one of the strong suits of it for sure. But yeah, absolutely. Until next time, don't be a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs>